Good morning. They told me that I did such a good job hosting the last two weeks that they're just going to give me a whole 30, 45 minutes to stand up here and talk. Um, <clears throat> the chances are, though, I, met, I, I have a better, t- really what they said was, you know, I have sh- such a short period of time when I host that if I mess something up, I can't correct it. So they said if I mess something up, I've, at least I've got time to correct it if I stand up here a little bit longer. And then my wife reminded me that if, if I mess something up, I just have longer to dig myself farther into a hole. So um, I, I'm glad to let you know that I got out of the whole first service, and, and so we reloaded and came back for another one. We just finished our, our 49 Days, the series that we, that we did called 49 Days. Great series, spiritual disciplines. Um, but as, as we were doing 49 Days, and I hosted through two or three weeks of that, that series, um, I made some observations, but they told me not to tell you my observations during the series, because it would distract from the series, uh, because, and, but now it's over, so I'm going to make my observations, because I got a microphone, and Jameson promised he's not going to hit mute, but um, the first one was that 49 days, I don't know if you were counting, but 49 days actually spanned 50 days, did anybody else pick that up, because it started on a Sunday, and it ended on a Sunday, and there's seven days in a week, and so that time span was 50, maybe that's just me, I'm, I'm a math nerd, but so that was one thing that stood out. And the other one that stood out, and you got to stay with me because here's what we're going to do for, for the next few minutes is I'm going to take you on a trip through my head. Okay. I'm going to take you on a trip of what happens in my head when I walked in and saw the logo the first day, day one or day zero, or however we were counting the first day. Um, I'm going to take you through what was going through my head. So here's what you got to do. You got to, you got to stay with me. You got to stay with the group. Do not linger, because you do not want to get stuck on the journey through my head, all right? Well, you got to make it out with everybody else. It'd be like the girl in Poltergeist that's stuck in the TV. It won't be a good place to be if you, don't, if you do not follow with me. And I'm going to tell you, it is a scary place. And, and you, there is a point to what I'm going to say, as absurd as it may sound, okay? So I walk in the first day. We're in my head. I walk in the first day, and I see this, and immediately I think, are we doing a series on zombies? It's, that's what's going on. And, and I've probably been watching Walking Dead way too much at this point. But I think, are we doing a series on zombies because the background and everything? The 49 days, is that like how long we have left to live before the invasion comes? Is that like the gestation cycle once something happens? Anyway, again, my head, right? So J.J. starts speaking, and I'm distracted because... He's not talking about zombies, and I'm wondering why he's not talking about zombies. And so in my head, I start thinking about zombies, and I think, you know what? Why is it that every, every time that the zombies attack, like it's garden tools that you fight them off with, right? And, and, and I, I understand the rationale because guns make noise, and noise attracts more zombies. That's logical. It's intuitively obvious that that's what happens. So garden tools are the next best option because they're quiet, and so, you know, you, you, you have a, a shovel or a machete or a pitchfork. Pitchforks actually work great because if they're standing close, you can get two of them at one time, and it reloads easy. So, um, but I'm, if, if I've decided then, and, and this is the whole time J.J.'s speaking, and, and I'm sorry to bring this up, J.J., because I am not really paying attention. But then he starts talking about the Bible, and, and then it brings me back because I'm thinking about how tools are used as weapons, and he starts talking about the Bible. So then I start thinking how the Bible is oftentimes used as a weapon. 
and how the word of God is used and perverted to attack us. See how I turned the corner there? You, you had no idea where that was going, and, and for time, at times I didn't either, but we came back to the Bible. Whew, thank goodness, because everything hinged off of me making that corner. No, but so I got to thinking about how often the Bible is used as a weapon, and, it, and honestly, the Bible is one of our greatest tools. It's the greatest thing that we have for our lives. And instead of using it for good, we, we, we being proclaimed Christians or the church or whatever organization you want to relate it to, oftentimes misuse it and we harm people. And um, there was a story uh, a couple of months ago. Um, Chris Neff, the executive pastor, actually sent it to me. And it was about a lady in, in North Carolina, a 57-year-old woman, beat the stew out of another lady with a Bible. So literally, there's a, there's a physical action, and she spent like three months in jail or something for doing it. She must have beat her pretty bad. But so, so you know, there's an instance there where you take it and use it as a weapon. Um, oftentimes, I mean, all you got to do is turn on the news, and there'll be a church protesting at a, a soldier's funeral. And that's it, very tacky. It's a very... That's my opinion. I I just think that that's very tacky, very distasteful. And and the other thing I think is, whose mind are they changing? Like at that point, who is listening to their message? I mean, they're sending a message. They're sending a very loud message, but I don't think it's the message that they really want to be sending at that point. And and then we could probably spend we could probably spend a whole forty nine days talking about taking testimony where where you may have been the recipient of of, of somebody attacking you with what scripture says um you know but man it's just scripture is offensive enough it's abrasive enough the word of god is abrasive enough because it's true we don't need to add to it so what i need you guys to to agree to do today is is i need you to agree that because what i'm what i have to share can be taken and used as a weapon if, if, if you so chose to do so. So I need you to agree that what you hear today, you're not going to use against um, your spouse or your partner. You're, you're not going to use it against your friends. You're not going to, this one's big, you're not going to use it against yourself, okay? Because how many times do we take it and beat ourselves up with what we've heard? You know, we, we guilt ourselves. I mean, we're, we're, I'll tell you what, we're more violent towards ourselves than we are towards anyone else oftentimes. Um, but this is the biggest one, okay? And we can't move forward until we, 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 can, we can approach this one. Is you got to promise you're not going to use it against me, okay? Because, you know, some of you may be wanting to, to, to come charge the stage, and, and you got to promise before we move forward that you're not going to use it against me, okay? So, so you're not going to use this as a weapon against anybody. This is a tool. This is a very valuable tool, very, very, very worthwhile if used in the proper way. So... Anyway, as we, as we journeyed through my head, that's how I got to this point. But also, as, as we were going through the series, I got to thinking about last week was Father's Day. Congratulations to those dads out there. And um, so I, I was think, as I was thinking about Father's Day, and, and, and this message was coming up. I knew Father's Day was coming up. I knew that this message was coming up. I got to thinking about my role as a dad, okay? And, and there are certain things as a dad that you do. You get things out of trees, you, uh, you untie knots, right? You chase off spiders and 
lizards and stuff like that. And, and that's okay, but it's kind of lower on the list. And then some of the more important things, like um, provide for, for them, you know, shelter and, and things like that. Um, love them, as meaning my children, you know, loving your children and providing for them. And then I got to thinking, you know what? The absolute most important thing I can do for my kids is to love their mom. The absolute most important thing as a father that I can do for my kids is to love their mom because my boys need to know how a woman should be treated. My boys need to know how, how a husband treats a wife. And, and I, I'll tell you, oftentimes I teach them, I'm, I'm showing them the wrong things to do. But at the same time, I'm focused on trying to show them the right things to do. Also very important is my daughter needs to know how a woman needs to be treated by a man. And who are they going to learn this from most, if not me? Because they're going to see my relationship with my wife, and their, their future relationships are going to end up being based off of this, good, bad, or ugly. Some of this, this baggage, is, it's going in there, and they're, they're dragging it with them into whatever relationship that they get into. And so you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I'm not a male. I don't have kids, and I'm not married. Any of those three fit it, because I'm, I'm actually talking about married fathers here. So this is a very small subset, but this is applicable if you are none of those. I'll tell you this, if you were a father, if you were a single father, this may be even more applicable. This is, man, you think that if your kids aren't going to learn from how, as a single dad, you treat their mom? Wow. Wow. There's even more chance for a messed up interaction there. And they're going to pick up on that. The kids are going to pick up on that. And, and their relationships are going to be affected, again, good, bad, or ugly. They're either going to repeat the same mistakes or they're going to learn from them and move forward. But chances are, history dictates, they're going to repeat the same mistakes. So we've talked about males. We've talked about females. We've talked about being in a relationship and being single. So I think I've kind of covered everybody that's here. And if you don't fit into one of those four categories, talk to me after. Don't, don't raise your hand now. Don't draw attention to it now because I'm going to start thinking about how, that, how you fit in, don't fit into one of those categories, and I'm going to get really distracted, and I've still got a page of notes to get through. So we'll talk after. But I'm telling you, this fits because if you're not, this is great, if you're not married, you're not in a relationship, if you're out here and you're single, you can learn from the other people's mistakes. Most of what we're going to talk about today is, we're going to talk about relationships today. And, and most of what I've known is because I've messed something up. And, uh, and, and I've done, if, if you've gotten married here at the church, there's a 50-50 chance that I may have done the service. So there's a good chance that I may have done the premarital counseling. And so um, if, if so, a lot of this is going to sound familiar, but it's okay. You don't have to turn off because chances are you're not doing half the stuff anyway. Because <laughs> if, if you're, I, I, I know I'm a little bit stubborn and I don't follow my own advice. And so um, chances are you're not either. But if, if you're not married or if you're not in a relationship, if you're single, man, this is, this is an awesome thing to hear about relationships because relationships are messy and, and you know they're just messy and nasty and, and and if you have any help we have this is why 
the church does such a poor job out in the community. This is why people don't really care about having anything to do with church because we don't get it right. And relationships is the biggest thing that, that people have. And they see how dysfunctional the church is at this. And they're like, man, I, I can be that messed up on my own without spending a couple hours on a Sunday. So they do. Because we, we don't do that great at it either. So I told you that, um, that the Bible is offensive enough. I'm going to do my best to, to put it on safety and, and leave it there and not try to hurt anybody or anything. Um, because it's offensive and abrasive enough. And then enter my first scripture, which is Proverbs twenty-one nineteen, And um, it, I didn't do a good job. Because it says that it's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. So I, I came out here promising you that I wasn't going to be abrasive and offensive. And then Proverbs twenty-one nineteen is my first verse. And I promise it gets better. I really promise it gets... But... On the flip side, you know, this is talking about wives, but it could say it could say the same thing about husbands. Better to live in a desert than with a hard-headed, selfish jerk of a husband. I mean, I could really see that. That's like the new message version or something. Um, but I, I could really see it saying something like that because the two are applicable. I mean, it's interchangeable almost. This one's actually in there, but, I mean, the flip side of that coin is is a hard-headed jerk of a husband. And And it's better to live in a desert. So, so apparently what I get from this is the greatest form of loneliness isn't being in a desert. The greatest form of loneliness isn't alone in a desert. It's being in a relationship with somebody who knows you a fraction of what they should. The greatest form of loneliness is being in a relationship with someone who respects you a fraction of what they should. And being in a relationship with somebody who loves you a fraction of what they should. And the truth is, the only thing worse than being single and lonely is being married and lonely. It's a very, very sad place to be. It's, it's a very discouraging place to be. I mean, marriage should be the, one of the happiest things, one, one of the greatest things you get to experience. But to feel lonely inside that relationship is a very heart-wrenching place to be and some people get married thinking that they found the love of their life some people get married thinking they found that life companion and and after a couple of weeks they realize that they just got a new roommate and that this roommate eats their food and they can't really say anything about it like that's but that's what they've got so instead of that life companion they, they end up with that roommate that's a whole lot harder to kick out and so <clears throat> to their surprise, they just get that roommate. And some people get married thinking that they found an ally, a new ally to fight against everything worth fighting for. And, and they think that they found that sidekick to fight against the injustices or against what, what's, what needs to be fought for. And, and they end up spending most of their time fighting each other. And then at the end of the day, they're too tired to fight against anything else. So you're supposed to be fighting together, but you're fighting each other. And nothing, nothing you, end up, you don't end up getting anything productive accomplished with your efforts. So we, we have this idea. I say we, mostly the females, have this idea of what marriage should look like. Because I'm telling you, guys really don't spend a lot of time thinking about marriage until they're standing up on a stage like this with a tuxedo on, 
looking at the dude next to him going, why did you, why are you letting me do this? That's, that's when marriage usually sinks in for guys, right? That's when we start thinking about it. But, but for, for the women in the group, they spend a lot of time thinking about it typically from what I understand. I mean, my daughter is, is, um, seven and you know she she talks about you know they she has weddings for the for the barbie dolls and things like that you know all that's going on and then the boys come in and just whoa they knock it all over or run a race car through it or something and but women think about this and and so that picture you have in your head your relationship doesn't end up panning out like that and it's it and it and it hurts and and so it'd be really easy to slip into self-pity right now i mean it would be really easy to 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 be feeling sorry about yourself and, and getting into the Eeyore mode at this point of, man, just somebody, look how bad I've got it, and woe is me and everything. Don't, okay? Don't slip into self-pity because this isn't about your spouse. This isn't about your partner and how they're treating you. This is about you. Do not feel sorry for yourself because what I'm, what I'm trying to do today is chances are if you're feeling unloved or disrespected or, or, or alone, chances are your spouse is feeling the exact same way. If you're fat, dumb, and happy and you're not feeling any of those emotions, chances are your spouse may be. So I'm trying to give you a glimpse into what your spouse may be feeling. Um, so, but don't feel sorry for yourself um, and, and, and don't, fall into this self-pity because I'm telling you self-pity is not going to move you one inch closer to that picture of what you thought marriage was going to be. It isn't going to move you an inch closer to anything remotely the same as what you think marriage was going to be before you got there. Self-pity is not going to do that. And it's a matter it's not about the other person. It's not about what they're doing. Um, This is about you self-pity is only going to pervert your perspective of marriage because you're going to think now you're going to be even more upset at that other person for not making this happen for you. It's, it's going to do that. It's, it's going to paralyze your potential faster than any other emotion. Self-pity is going to paralyze that potential. And, and you know, if there's anything good about this <clears throat> is if you are in a really bad relationship, the good news is it can only get better. Like that potential is great. If you're, in a re- if you're in a really, 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 really good relationship, I mean, your relationship is solid. It can only get a little bit better, right? So there's a small amount of potential for really, 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 really good relationships. If you're in a bad relationship, there's tons of potential. That's like the bright side of things, right? I, I mean, I was going to say that the glass is half full, but I'm an engineer, so the glass is only twice as large as it needs to be. But some of you will get that on the ride home. But the fact of the matter is that really, like, there's nowhere to go but up. For some of us, that should be a good thing because it can change. Here's the thing. You can't control how your spouse treats you. You have no control over someone else's actions. But you can control how you treat your spouse. So you have no control over how your partner treats you. But you can control how you treat your partner. And this may be one of the most important things that's said today. You control how you treat them. They should never be lonely. They should never be lonely. You should be their biggest cheerleader. 
their biggest support system. They're, they're, they're Batman or Catwoman, you know, their sidekick. The person that's right there fighting alongside of them, not fighting them, but fighting them. You should be supporting them and loving them. You can, that's, how, that's what you control. They should never feel lonely. So I didn't do such a great job picking the first verse because it was a little bit offensive. But the second verse was a little bit better. The second verse is a little bit nicer. The second verse is Colossians 3.19. And it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's a little bit nicer, right, than the whole ill-tempered, nagging, quarrelsome wife. And see, here's the thing. The Old Testament was a little bit harsh, and it was against the wife. You know, it was speaking towards the wife. But then the New Testament is an equal opportunity offender because then it talks about husbands not being harsh with their wives. Um, but here's the thing with, with this verse and, and with the verses that we're, we've looked at is you have a choice. Like, you choose how you, how you act, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your partner. So choose today to be more than a person that your spouse shares a bed with. You have a choice in that matter. Um, Choose today not to be your spouse's enemy. Because here's the truth. They already have an enemy. It's the same one that we all have. They have, they're already battling sin. They're already battling. Satan is, is after every single one of us. They already have an enemy. They don't need your, you as an enemy. They need you as an ally. Marriage shouldn't be a perpetual reminder of unmet expectations. It shouldn't be this, this continuous blooper reel of stuff you've done wrong. It shouldn't be. And it doesn't have to be a breeding ground for loneliness. It can change, but the change starts with you because that's the piece of the puzzle that you control. So <clears throat> here's what I'm going to tell you is if you are going if you want to change your relationship then change how you how you act towards towards that person in the relationship and if you're going to change this is very important if if at all you think it's remotely possible that you want to change lower your expectations okay cuz oftentimes and I've I've done counseling I talk with people about um about their relationships and stuff and, and I had a guy come back in to me. He saw me. He says, hey, listen, you know, I, I apologized. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I went home and I apologized. Yesterday, she didn't care. Man, I apologized and phew, she just blew me off. This doesn't work, you know. I may as well just leave. Nothing's ever going to get better. And I said, hold on a minute. For four weeks, you've been thinking about apologizing. And you finally come to the conclusion to do so. But for four weeks, she has been stewing about whatever it was you did dumb that you had to apologize for. So, for, so four weeks go by, and you finally get up the nerve or whatever to say, I'm sorry. And you expect her to just, oh, yeah, oh, great, okay, and life is good again, right? No, 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 that doesn't happen that way. Her, your timing, you had four weeks to, to come around to this conclusion, and you want in 40 seconds the same thing to happen. So I tell you that to say, lower your expectations, okay? Because if you decide to make a change and correct your marriage to correct your relationships, 
chances are they're not going to follow right behind you. It may take them a little while because this, this may have been going on for years and years and years. And then let's change. And then they keep going this way. And you wonder why. Because it's going to take them a little bit. I'll go so far to say that you make a change, there is a possibility that, that, that for a little bit they're going to go the opposite way because it's going to just freak them out. Because they're going to like, why are you doing the dishes? What would you do wrong? No, seriously. I mean, you brought home flowers. Who is she? Right? I mean, there is, you run the risk of you try to be nice and then the suspicion kicks in. So, so y'all may go opposite directions for a little bit. Don't give up. Don't leave them behind. Okay? Because eventually it'll turn and they'll start following and it'll, the gap will close. Don't give up. Don't leave them behind. But lower your expectations. Too many times I say, no, nope, I'm done. I said I'm sorry and didn't work. Once. You said it once, right? So just lower your expectations. It, it will not change overnight, okay? Um, so if you're going to change, lower your expectations. And, and I don't want to leave out the single people in the room. Um, if, you're, if you're dating someone, and, and this has an opportunity to offend you. So if I haven't offended the married people already, I'm going to go ahead and offend the, the, the single people. But if you're dating somebody, this is my view on, on dating. If you're dating them and you look and you think, there's no way I'd ever marry that person, leave them. And I don't mean like the guy that says I'm never getting married because I was never getting married and then I met my wife and then it kind of changed at like 25. My mind changed to, well, I might get married. <laughs> so, you know, I don't mean that like I'm never getting married. But if you look at that and say, yeah, you know what, I couldn't wake up to that person every day. Leave them. But I like it. But Michael, I like hanging out with them. They're a lot of fun. Then be friends with them. You don't have to date them. I, my view on dating is that it's a precursor to marriage. It's not just fun and stuff like that. Hanging out with friends is fun. Just be friends with them. Um, my other thing on dating is if, if their favorite song is Redneck Crazy, leave them. <laughs> Quickly. <clears throat> that one's free. No, but if you're dating somebody and they don't respect or care for you the way that you deserve to be respected and cared for, leave them. But if you're married to somebody who doesn't respect or care or love for you the way that you deserve, love them. Because there's a difference. If you're dating them, leave them. If you're married to them, love them. Because you stood on a stage very similar to this or, or in a... On a beach or in a courtroom or somewhere, and you took a vow. And and God says that it's better not to vow or not to promise than to promise and not pay or promise and not do what you said you were going to do. And so, if you're dating them, go ahead and leave them so that you don't get into a situation like this. If you're married to them, go ahead and love them and stick around and see what happens because you promise to that better or worse sometimes we tend to reside in worse and it doesn't get better unless you love them and stick around for the guys if she isn't where you want her to be if she's not doing the things you want her to do acting the way that you feel like she should act towards you then lead her somewhere else lead her to do something different 
Because if she's not where you want her to be, she's exactly where you led her to be by your actions. Because you don't control their actions. We control our actions. In every argument, these are, these are just nuggets from counseling. Every argument has shared blame. I think this one's huge. It's never 100% one person's fault in a relationship. There is always, always, always shared blame. Now, it may be 99 and 1, 99.92.1, whatever. There is always shared blame. It may be 50-50, or it may be somewhere in the middle, but it is never 100%. There is shared blame. Here's the thing. Realize what, sec- what portion of that is yours and take responsibility for it. Don't sit there and wait for them to take responsibility for their portion because then you'll just be playing the waiting game and you're going to be frustrated and disappointed. Take responsibility for the portion that is yours and take care of it. How about say you're sorry? I know that's hard. And it's not just the stubborn guys in the room that that's hard for. Because, ladies, you guys are way more stubborn oftentimes when it comes to saying, I'm sorry. Trust me, I know. But I'm telling you. And don't say it while you're throwing something. (laughs) Or don't say, I'm sorry, but you. And then go on from there. Actually mean it. You would be amazed at how I'm sorry could diffuse a relationship, or a relationship, can diffuse an argument. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be amazed at how I'm sorry can diffuse an argument. <clears throat> so I watched, talking about diffusing the argument, I, I, I watched How I Met Your Mother, and they were talking about, you know, it's, anybody, yeah, there's a couple of, them, of you out there. And they were talking about, like, it's very difficult to stay mad at somebody if you argue naked. So if, if, if you can't yet say I'm sorry, then when you're in the middle of the argument and you want it to stop, you can just strip, okay? I'm just giving you a, a step until you can get to the I'm sorry point, all right? So it, whatever works, we're, I, I really just want us to improve our relationships uh, because we are so horrible at it. Uh, but take your, take your responsibility for your part of the problem. And, and, you know, the biggest, what's the biggest argument that we have as couples? Money. Yeah. The biggest argument we have is over finances. And that is the dumbest thing to fight about. It really is. Because I'm telling you, it isn't magic. It's math. Like, it's not even hard math. Right? It's pluses and minuses. It's not gazentas or multiples. It's just add and subtract. And as long as you can add more than you subtract, you're in good shape at the end of the month. And we fight over that kind of stuff. Don't fight about it. Communicate about it. Oh, maybe that's the reason we fight about it. Because this money got spent and it wasn't talked about. And now we don't know where it's at. Like it just disappeared. So it isn't. And I'm telling you, if you guys... If, if you're here and you're struggling with your finances, come see us. We have, we have people that re- are really, really, really smart at this kind of thing. And not just at the plus and the minus part of it, but in the whole, what does God say about finances? Peace. Come see us. 
the last thing I want to see is your relationship going south because you can't add and subtract or you can't talk about your finances. Seriously, we can, this is a piece that could be fixed really quickly, but the problem is you have to want to change. So if you're having, if you're struggling with your finances, definitely come see us. We can hook you up. But the biggest thing, and and quit trying to be like everybody else because everybody else is just as broke as you are. Like, just because they got that new car didn't mean that they had the money to pay for the new car. It just meant that the bank was dumb enough to give them the money. So don't think that somebody else has it any better than you. It's just that their house is soundproof. You can't hear them fighting about it. It's the only difference. I'm telling you, everybody is, we haven't figured this all out yet. So don't fight, though. Communicate. You'd be amazed what a little bit of dialogue that isn't, raised a couple of octaves will do <clears throat> my wife's rule and I hate this rule I absolutely hate this rule she won't argue if she's mad and I'm thinking why argue then right like if I'm not mad there's nothing to argue about but I, what, what she means is like when she's overly emotional she won't argue you know something comes up and and I just want to listen I just want to get it over with because I can't remember what I'm mad about later on so I just want to get it over with now because I got good points that I want to make. I got some good. She won't argue. Watch, and it, man, it makes me so angry. I get so upset when she won't fight back, right? Because the, the thing about arguing is it's fun, but if no one else is there to argue with you, man, that's just stupid. So she won't fight when she's angry because she doesn't want to say something, you know, that she's going to regret. I'm like, but that's the... You know, that's the zingers. Those are the good things. So it's, it's a good, uh, you know, and, and with me, she needs to do that. Um, so that, that was not bad. If it's going to be harmful, don't say it. Just wait. Because then I forget. But then she comes back and goes, okay, you want to talk about such and such? I'm like, I don't even remember what happened. You know, it's a good thing. <clears throat> here's, here's something huge, and we, we hit on it earlier. We got to understand that each one of us, every single person, whether you're in a relationship or not, is the product of at least one other relationship. So, and, and whether that relationship was your parents were married for 50 years and you saw that relationship, or your parents knew each other for five minutes, you were still the product of at least one other relationship. And good, bad, or ugly, we carry that with us into each relationship. Oftentimes, the, the, the relationships that we carry with us are our previous relationships that didn't end so well. Here's something. Do not blame the other person for something somebody else did to you. You got to let them off the hook for that, man. Holy cow, that is a battle they will never win. That is something that they will never recover from because they didn't even do it. But I'm telling you, don't act like it doesn't happen because too many times the person you're with is paying for something that the, other, the person they were with before did to them. Or the person that, that you're with is paying for something that your, your mom or dad did or didn't do for you or to you. Too many times. And, and, and that poor guy is on death row and he's innocent. If you were doing that, that he, there is no way that, you, that, that he or she will recover from that because they have no clue that they didn't do anything, number one, and they have no clue that it's happening. Do not. You've got to let them go. Give them a pardon for that. 
telling you, though, this, this will make you feel good. Every single relationship is dysfunctional. Like, every family is dysfunctional. I, I'm, it's just the truth. <clears throat> Brandon told me after the, sec, after the first service that, that they did a study, and 95% of all relationships are dysfunctional, and the other 5% are lying about it. Like, we're all... There is all, there's a level of dysfunction. It's just a gradient. It's just a matter of how much function and how much dysfunction is going on. But what it, here's the thing is, we tend to do the same things over and over again and expect something else to happen, right? We think like lather, rinse, repeat. Oh, wait, something didn't, you know, argue, argue, yell, leave, argue, argue, yell, leave, argue, argue, yell, leave, and we expect something different to happen. And every now and then, something different does happen, because every now and then, the, the police show up. <laughs> but at the, same, at the end of the day, it's the same outcome, and we think, why isn't anything changing? You wonder why nothing's changing? Because you're doing the same stuff. Like, you haven't changed. So, if you want something different to happen, you have to have a different input. Something different, you have to do something different. And, it, and you want to, the reason we don't is because as dysfunctional as that is, we know what to expect. Like we're comfortable with our dysfunction because we know what's going to happen. We don't like different things happening. We don't like change. Even if it's a better change, it's scary because we don't know what it's going to be. I can tell you what, it's a whole lot better than that same cycle happening over and over and over and over and over again. If you want something different to happen, change. Make a change. Break the cycle. Two more points, and I'm going to wrap this up. <clears throat> but they're big points. This one may be the biggest. So if you're married, you need to hear this. If you're not married, you need to hear this. Because if you're ever going to get married one day, you need to go into this being free. I'm telling you, those of you that aren't married here today, this is huge. Because you don't get to step in the same potholes, okay, if you pay attention and put some of this into play. Marriage isn't about being happy. Let me say that again, because I don't know if some of you realize this. Marriage isn't about being happy. There's not in the vows. Go back and play the old VCR tape. It isn't in there. I guarantee you, wherever you stood and got married, it nowhere did you say, I promise to make you happy. It's not in the vows. Marriage isn't about being happy. Marriage is about love. Bigger than that, it's not your spouse's job to make you happy. It isn't their job to make you happy. They can't. They can make you unhappy. They cannot make you happy. Happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice you make. It's not a destination. You don't arrive at happy. Happiness is a choice you make. You can be unhappy and argue and fight regardless of how much money you make, regardless of which neighborhood you live in, regardless of what color car you drive. Happiness is a choice. Some of the, man, some of the happiest people I know have nothing, zip, but each other. So here's the thing. You got to stop trying to find the right person. You've got to stop trying to make them be the person you want them to be. You've got to start being the person that you need to be. Because 
Otherwise, it's not even going to matter because if you make them be the right person you're gonna, you're, and you're still the wrong person, you're diverging. It's your choice. Let's pray.